0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.
1: Welcome to IBEC Voices, a podcast series about the people and priorities behind Irish business and the global climate that shapes it. In the third episode of our mini-series with a focus on COP26, we once again hear from Neil Walker, Head of Infrastructure, Energy and Environment at IBEC. This time, Neil is joined by Stefan Engling, advisor on EU climate policy at Business Europe. In this, the first part of their discussion, they speak about the run-up to COP, contrasting the legally binding commitments made by the European Union with the more aspirational ones by developing countries.
0: Hello, this is Neil Walker again. It's day four of COP26 and the third in IBEX podcast series. I'd like to introduce as a guest speaker, Stefan Engling, climate policy advisor with Business Europe. Stefan has been coordinating the activities of Business Europe during the run-up to the conference. And I will now invite him to say a few words about his organization and in particular, the energy and climate policy work that it undertakes in Brussels on behalf of its members, which include IBEC.
1: Thank you so much, Neil, for having me on the podcast today. And I'm very happy to contribute whatever I can on uh, the very interesting discussion around CUP. Just a few words on Business Europe. Um, We are a cross-sector, cross-industry, business and trade association, uh, headquartered in Brussels. Um, We uh, represent enterprises of all sizes and sectors um, in 35 European countries, so a bit more than EU membership countries only um, And those countries' national business federations are our direct members. Um, As I said, we are headquartered in Brussels, and as such are the collective voice of our members vis-à-vis the European institutions, and in that role we are, of course, very much involved in European policymaking when it comes to climate, energy, and general sustainability topics. This includes, at the moment, of course, um, the big discussions around the Fit for 55 package, um, but also everything to do with for example circular economy and sustainable finance topics on top of that we also represent European business interests of an, uh, in, on an international level so going beyond the EU and there of course we are following very closely what has been happening at the G20 and what is currently happening in Glasgow and um, looking forward to talk about this with you today
0: thank you Stefan so you'd mentioned the the G20 which uh, took place the weekend, Before the opening of the conference, Uh, perhaps you might want to comment on what you think the progress has been made by the parties to the COP during the run up and, and whether in particular the opening two days of leaders speeches have lived up to the expectations of the European business community.
1: Um, Yes, uh, I'd love to do so. Um, If I think about the run-up to the COP, I think there has been, uh, unfortunately, an auspicious lack of some big-time announcements. Um, We had the redefining of the EU's own target uh, towards the end of last year. And the submission of the NDC that um, included the minus 55 targets for 2030. Um, Then after um, uh, the uh, inauguration of President Biden, we had the Um, uh, submission of the U.S. NDC in spring, Um, but unfortunately not that many other big emitters have followed that same path. And especially if we compare that to other COPs, such as um, uh, Paris in 2015, for example, when we had, of course, the emergence of the Paris Agreement, um, that is uh, really not hailing too well for the progress at the COP because um, we really had uh, in, in the run-up to Paris, for example, a convergence of uh, big-time pledges um, and that has not been as much the case here. Um, then at the G20 itself, um, the leader statement was uh, yeah, somewhat lacking in concrete um, commitments. It was good to see that all G20 um, economies firmly committed to climate neutrality by mid-century, but apart from that, um, not much concrete commitments there, unfortunately. Um, And then moving over to what we have heard in these first um, three uh, past days at the COP. We had this time somewhat unusually um the high level segment which with the world leaders and the spe- speeches by uh, presidents and heads of state um, in the beginning of the cop and not in the end as it is usually customary um, that meant that um the the dynamic was somewhat that each of the um leaders uh, staked out what they were themselves willing to um, willing to commit in the beginning of the negotiations but they weren't necessarily there to bring any yeah, sticky negotiations over the line, so to speak. Um, so we had some, some commitments in the beginning and some, some big, uh, splashy announcements. Um, so we had, for example, um, the so-called deforestation pledge, um, where over 100 countries joined to efforts to to um, end deforestation and other detrimental land-use practices by the end of 2030, uh, um, which is welcome, of course, because um, large forests and uh, forest areas uh, act as some of our most important carbon sinks and reservoirs. Um, and it was particularly noteworthy that Brazil, for example, um, was a signatory here, um, which is, of course, noteworthy because Uh, It has, with the stewardship for the Amazon, a huge responsibility to play in this field. Um, Furthermore, we had some other announcements as well. Um, For example, a just transition partnership um, between Germany, the US, the UK, France uh, and the European Commission to help and assist South Africa in its uh, own exit from using coal for power generation. Um, And there we had a financing commitment from these partners and international development Development agencies and banks of 8.5 billion U.S. dollars, which is significant for a first funding phase. Um, And we had some other countries just uh, last night and this morning uh, joining uh, coal exit pledges. For example, um, Ukraine, um, which is very significant as one of the major users of coal in Europe.
0: And just picking up on the comments you made about Brazil and South Africa, they are two of the, the five so-called BRICS countries, you know, the, the large but developing countries. Uh, would you have a view on whether the pledges that they've made are sufficiently credible and transparent and verifiable to unlock the trillions of dollars that will be needed to finance the global low-carbon transition while also adapting uh, locally to uh, unavoidable changes in, in the local climate? Um, yeah, that's a very
1: good question indeed. So we had um, the announcement by Brazil committing to carbon neutrality by 2050, um, which is, of course, very welcome. Then China, just in the very beginning of the COP, um, yeah, re Issued an NDC. I don't want to say uh, re- renewed NDC too much because it was essentially a statement of uh, previous or commitments that China had already made. Um, so peaking in emissions until 2030, uh, aiming for climate neutrality by 2060. Um, yeah, um, many analysts, especially on the on the on the issue of the peaking of emissions, would have liked to see a bit more concrete uh, action there. Maybe uh, the 2025 target was in discussion for a while. Um, but yes, we uh, also they uh, renewed the commitment to um, decrease the carbon intensity um, per unit of uh, economic output um, by 65% by 2030. That is all very welcome. Um, not that much news, though. Um, on India... Um, we had Narendra Modi speaking on the first day of the COP, um, who made some, indeed some some new announcements and commitments. Um, and there we had the the um, plan to reach uh, carbon neutrality by 2070, um, which is of course, if you think in the terms of the Paris Agreement, not exactly what we're looking for. If we want to have the planet to be carbon neutral by 2050, um, that would mean that um, advanced economies or other partners would have to go into significant negative emissions by that time, which is doubtful. Um, so, But uh, the fact that an uh, emission neutrality target at all was defined by, uh, by, 20, by India and by 2070 um, is very laudable, of course. Um, there are some some issues with that announcement in itself however um, I just mentioned emission neutrality, and that already is at the heart of, of one of the discussions that we still have with India's um, announcement. We don't ha- or have a new NDC by India yet, so we can't really read up on on what um, this announcement means in practical terms. Um, and in the speech, Prime Minister Modi didn't make it very concrete. For example, if tw- the 2070 target was meant as um, carbon n- neutral in terms of neutral um, uh, emissions of CO2, carbon dioxide, or in- indeed all um, greenhouse gases were covered, which of course makes a significant uh, difference in an ambition. Um, uh, we also had um, a commitment to have Uh, or it was sometimes quoted in the international media to have half of uh, India's power generation to be renewable by 2030. Um, That is not not exactly what was committed to, at least how I read it. Um, If I understand Mr. Modi correctly, that was a pledge to have half of India's power generation capacity um, uh, to be renewable by 2030. Um, And from the European experience, we know very well that Um, Some of this renewable capacity is, of course, intermittent. So 50% renewable capacity does not necessarily mean 50% renewable generation. Um, So, yeah, some questions around around India's commitments there. Um, Russia... Also, no new NDC yet, Um, and the previous NDC of minus um, 30% by 2030 um, is also somewhat, or it it, it might seem more ambitious than what we have seen from the other BRICS counties. One should... Keep in mind, though, that the reference year is 1990. Um, and that means that, um, the reference is made to Russia or the successor states of the Soviet Union that were much more industrialized at the time. So. Um, the, the economic changes uh, in Russia uh, after 1990 already led to uh, a significant decrease in um, carbon emissions. Um, and that means that the 2030 targets is, does not actually mean a lot of additional commitments. And that is something we would have really looked for. Um And then the last in in the BRICS, um, South uh, Africa, as I said, um, one of the top 10 coal users in the world. Um, It is really laudable that we have this, uh, it's called a just transition partnership, the funding commitments that I just mentioned. Um, Of course, even better would be to have some dates and and targets attached to that. But, yeah, that uh, might be a little bit far-fetched at this point. Um, And then coming back to your question, um, if that is enough, or if those commitments do enough to unlock the investment necessary. um, I think that many, to the extent that this is already private investments flowing in uh, renewable capacity in China, for example. Um, there there we can be hopeful, and I think that will continue. Um, but as we will come back later, a significant part of this will, of course, have to be some sort of public investment. Um, and there we need a political agreement at the COP. and. You, with your question, you pointed to to one of the underlying fundamental questions that we are facing at this COP. Um, basically, developing and uh, yeah, sort of BRICS economies telling um, the more developed economies that there's more or more certainty on funding needed first before more commitments on ambition or transparency can be made, um, and the developed economies pushing for exactly these commitments before they commit to more funding. Um, So that is one of the deadlocks that will have to be breached by political uh, negotiation and stewardship at the COP itself.
0: So um, a bit of a Mexican standoff, you might say. (laughs) IBEC, the voice of Irish business.